0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past.
1: What we were able to demonstrate and achieve would be a determining factor in the future of blacks in the armed services of the United
0: States once World War II was over. General Benjamin O. Davis, an original Tuskegee Airman, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. black history month and each week this month we featured an interview from my archive with a prominent black american first week of this month we featured melba patillo beals who was one of the little rock nine the following week doug williams the first black quarterback to start and win a super bowl last week dr Joycelyn elders the nation's first african-american surgeon general and today a great military leader Benjamin O. Davis Jr. played a key role in World War II. Not only were his combat accomplishments extraordinary, but his leadership helped shape the U.S. Air Force for decades to come. Davis was the leader of the famed Tuskegee Airmen. As commander of the 99th Fighter Squadron and 332nd Fighter Group in Europe, Davis demonstrated that African-American pilots were just as skilled as their white counterparts. In all, Davis flew 60 missions in the war. Later, he became the first African-American general in the U.S. Air Force. I met General Benjamin O. Davis Jr. upon publication of his memoir, Here Now My 1992 Interview with Benjamin O. Davis. Was it difficult for you? I find many people, especially people who have led very accomplished lives, it is difficult for those people to sit down at a typewriter or, word, or talk to an, another writer and put forth their life story on paper. They they It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them ill at ease. They don't like to talk about themselves too much. Was it a difficult experience for you?
1: You just described me before <laughs> my wife finally... Made me write this book. And it, it took her several years to convince me that I should write the book. The happiest thing that ever happened to me was that I finally had sense enough to write it. And believe me, Bill, I have become a kinder and gentler person <laughs> by having written this book, having met hundreds of people from a speaking platform having answered their questions, having them argue with me, having received hundreds of letters, each one of which, over the course now of a year, I have answered in my own handwriting, usually the first day that the letter appears in my mailbox. Wow. What, uh, what kinds of letters do you... What, what's the tone of the letters? The tone of the letters, oddly enough, is friendly and it also talks about World War II experiences that are as told in the book and uh, essentially uh, I think it represents a surprise to some people that black pilots fought successfully in combat in the air during World War II. That was a long time ago, and we have several new generations since
0: then who didn't know about that. Did it take a war to get you into the Army Air Corps? It certainly did.
1: I uh, applied for pilot training to the Army Air Corps before I went to West Point. My father had uh, bought... For $5, a ride for me with a barnstormer, and uh, I was bitten very severely and completely by the bug when I heard Charles Lindbergh's flight, single-engine flight, all alone for 33 hours in an airplane, the Spirit of St. Louis, from Roosevelt Field, Long Island to Orly Field in Paris. That did it for me, and I felt because I wanted to fly, and I couldn't get in the Army Air Corps in the normal way, that if I became a West Point graduate, they wouldn't turn down my application. But I was wrong about that. They did turn it down. In my last year at West Point, I made another application for pilot training, and I was informed there were no black units in the Air Corps at that time, and they did not contemplate having any, so it was would be pointless to train me as
0: a pilot because you were black. Correct. Uh, it's so hard for those of us today to look back on that and and then see the sense that uh, it, it was it, there was no sense to it then. there's no sense to it now, but to somebody back then it must have made sense. Bill people today have forgotten
1: the depths of low repute of black people that white people assigned to them. Um, It's hard for me to believe today how blacks were denigrated in the 1930s. Yet, that was the order of the day. There were very Few blacks outside the sport world who had achieved prominence. Oh, there was Charles Drew in, during World War II with blood plasma. And there was Paul Robeson, who was a famous actor. There was Jesse Owens, Joe Lewis, Jackie Robinson. But as far in the ordinary, uh, mundane part of human life, blacks were looked down upon, they were denigrated, and they were held in very low repute. So consequently, it was not conceived possible that blacks could be taught to fly airplanes. It was not conceived possible that if they could fly, that they could fly in combat successfully.
0: But I guess when war breaks out, you take whatever you can get.
1: Actually, it was the politics that forced President Roosevelt, who at that time was seeking a third term, to direct the War Department to create a black pursuit squadron the 99th in 1940. And that's what changed the course of my life and changed the course of many, many other young black people who wanted to fly. And believe me or not, Bill, It changed the face of America because Americans found out during World War II that blacks had certain assets that represent a national asset. And uh, you, you can go on a little further and say that it enabled President Truman to issue an executive order in 1948 mandating equal opportunity and treatment for all people who were members of the armed forces.
0: After this short break, General Benjamin O. Davis Jr. on the barriers he overcame, but the many more barriers he encountered after the war. Now back to my 1992 conversation with General Benjamin O. Davis Jr., Did you feel then or do you feel now like you were a trailblazer? Well, we knew we were
1: trailblazers for blacks in aviation. And we also knew at the time during World War II that what we were able to demonstrate and achieve in World War II would be a determining factor in the future of blacks in the Army Air Corps and in the armed services of the United States once World War II was over.
0: Did you have to do more, be more successful, be more courageous than White Flyers?
1: I don't think we had to be more successful and more courageous than White Flyers, but I do think that we had to demonstrate that we had the ability to perform in a way that the military services would improve their capability by having blacks as members of their service and armed force. This was part of what happened last year in Desert Storm. The fact that we had integrated units, the fact a volunteer force composed of blacks and whites was able to Actually, go into combat and demonstrate a cohesiveness and a spirit in such a force that had not existed prior to World War II was a tremendous asset to blacks throughout the United States. It was a tremendous asset to the United States because blacks are regarded in better, better in the eyes ...of the majority population of the United States than they were before Persian Gulf.
0: Well, not only that, but while they're fighting over there, Colin Powell is running things over here as the chief of staff. And what a great thing the appointment of Colin Powell
1: as chairman of the Joint Chiefs represents not only for Colin Powell, but for America... Colin Powell demonstrated, I think, for the first time that a black man had the ability to excel all other candidates for the number one job in the armed forces. And remember, it was because of his excellent background, his excellent demonstration in a myriad of jobs as national security advisor to the president of the United States, that he was able to step up into this position of responsibility in a way that has made America proud. Isn't that great?
0: Mm-hmm. As I was reading, it, it it must have been very frustrating to you, though, to know that you you broke them through the barrier you you're a flyer you're in world war II. you're you're to many people a hero of, of sorts you come back and you still can't eat at many restaurants you can't stay at some hotels you're turned away from this establishment to that establishment for the same reason that initially you were told you couldn't be a flyer that had to be enormously frustrating for you
1: uh bill uh you hit it on the nose uh, i remember back in 1960 uh, or rather 1950 when i had been graduated from the air force the air war college at maxwell field alabama i came here for assignment to the pentagon as chief of the fighter branch in operations in the pentagon korean war was had started i couldn't find a place to live that i wanted to live um black like women couldn't go into department stores and try on dresses. Longchamp had uh, built a uh, restaurant here in the city of Washington. And because they were going to permit black people to eat in that restaurant, they were forced out of business and had to go back to New York. Um, These things were tremendously disappointing, but they, in fact, represented the pattern of our lives. So uh, they weren't completely uh, surprising.
0: General Benjamin O. Davis Jr. died on the 4th of July, 2002. He was 89, and he's buried at Arlington National Cemetery. And you can find easy Amazon links to General Davis's book at our website, heardeverything.com, And that's where you'll also find my interviews with two other prominent American military leaders. My 1995 conversation with General Colin Powell.
1: The only thing I've ever wanted to do in, in my life was uh, was to be a soldier. Nothing ever came along that really excited me or uh, pulled me away from my devotion to soldiering.
0: And my 1988 interview with Navy Admiral Elmo Zumwalt. The decision
1: on the use of Agent Orange is not unlike most decisions in war, which are the least worst alternatives, uh, so it was with Agent Orange. We saved thousands, even though we are, in the long run, probably going to lose hundreds of those
0: thousands. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, you've read her books, you've seen her on TV, she treats food like a real experience. My 2004 conversation with Nigella Lawson. I always thought I wanted to be a novelist, and I thought I wanted to write the great novel of the 20th century. You know, who didn't? And then I wrote about food, and I realised I didn't want to write a novel. I could say everything I needed to say about life through writing about food. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.